spinning out of control. The sky is set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can join my dozens of listeners and binge listen to your heart's content. I'm joined by the irrepressible Chris Ryan and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Well, it's been a wild and wacky week on the American political scene. Our president is flown to Texas to talk to border control people about the drugs flowing in through all the legal ports of entry, claiming we need a great wall of the United States. Great Maybe wall can, of Trump. Great wall of Trump. Maybe we can put a bike path on top of the wall and we can go in for some Mexican tourism. You can take a bike tour of the Great Wall and look at the Mexicans on the other side from your mountain bike. So that's the news from 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 Trump land. And and we have his favorite presidential candidate, the the Pocahontas of American politics, Elizabeth Warren, according to Donald Trump, of uh, the wampum king herself, is coming to Concord, New Hampshire, after announcing her exploratory campaign. She's going to do private events and private events and private events uh, with limited press availability. Kind of reminds us of Hillary Clinton's listening tour, which she sat around at a table and just listened. And we'll see how that goes. And meanwhile... The president's former attorney, Michael Cohen, is going to appear before my old committee, the uh, Oversight and Government Reform Committee. He's going to talk publicly and dish the dirt on what really happened with Donald Trump. And, oh, wait a second, folks. We've got a special guest coming in. I want to welcome Oleg Deripaska, a Putin buddy. Uh, all the way from Moscow, not yet in Siberia. Uh, Mr. Deripaska, welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Oh, thank you very much, Paul. I'm so glad to be joining you. I was here. really worried he was going to sound a lot like Vladimir Putin, oh, no. but he doesn't. Deripaska has very different voice yeah, very different. than my friend Vladimir Putin. He and I spend time together, and Vladimir sound different from Oleg. Very but good. I must tell you, this terrible specter of my good friend Steven Mnuchin, who is making classified briefing about why he makes sanctions on my companies, is very, very sadly to me. It is bigly Sadly, that I see Steven Mnuchin being questioned by Democrats who do not believe him when he says, you simply must trust, trust, trust Mr. Trump on Russia. Of course you must trust. And never mind that Steve Mnuchin was was treasurer for campaign of Trump, and he's now treasurer of United States, charged with looking at improper things. Never mind that. And why should you not trust Donald Trump on what Mnuchin does about sanctions? I am going to be terribly hurt by this. This makes me feel very bad. I take my billions of dollars, I go home, I sit in corner and cry. And maybe Vladimir called Donald, and Donald will help us. So what happened, folks? 
Thank you, Mr. Deripaska. We appreciate you joining us with a really bad accent. It sounds like you have a cold because it must be freezing in Moscow. But the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, came to Capitol Hill for a closed-door classified briefing uh, with Democrats about why he's going easy on Russian billionaire and Putin buddy Deripaska's companies. And apparently it was one of the worst briefings that the members ever heard. They can't tell us what exactly they was said, but Nancy Pelosi described it as, quote, one of the worst classified briefings we received from the Trump administration. And given how bad the classified briefings from the Trump administration has been, that's a pretty awful thing to say. Um, She accused the former Goldman Sachs exec of wasting the time of Congress. you know, I mean, Mnuchin said... When there's, and that's a challenging statement. That's because a challenging there's, there's, statement. There's a lot of time that's wasted that's in Congress. That's a challenging time yeah. in Congress. I mean, there's a lot of sitting around waiting for stuff to happen as you wait for Nancy and, and the other leaders to decide what they do. But probably, apparently, one of the best moments of the briefing came when Mnuchin, who has stonewalled Democratic inquiries into the past in terms of his politically suspicious financial dealings with the president, his family, the campaign, um, when Mnuchin said that they should simply trust the administration when it comes to the reasons behind lifting the sanctions on Deripaska's company. So let's just dissect that for a minute. Here you have Mnuchin who, as campaign treasurer, knows all about the money that went into the Donald Trump campaign in which Mueller is following all the money and all the ties and all the Russian ties, and we're now getting the clear evidence of the collusion that we've been waiting for. He comes to Capitol Hill in a classified briefing and tells the lawmakers that they should simply Trust the administration when it comes to lifting sanctions on a close buddy of Vladimir Putin. Who has the you-know-whats to do that kind of thing? Only a member of the Trump administration. Chris Ryan, what's going on? I think that, again, there's been throughout the course of this uh, entire Russian investigation. There are so many things here that um, you know don't currently have answers per se, um, but are just simply not how America has operated uh, in the past. Um, and you know, it is very apparent that uh, there is something going on here. And um, we are, as a public, and our political figures are all waiting on Robert Mueller to, you know, connect the dots. Um, whether it is Donald Trump and people like Steve Mnuchin um, being beneficial to folks that they have conducted business with in the past, and that is where it ends, uh, whether it is uh, a effort that took place in order to get Donald Trump elected because of these favorable business relationships and perhaps future business relationships, I think that all is to, to be played out. But the expectation has always been that um, an individual, first and foremost, will... Uh, take their oath of office seriously and that they will put the uh, benefits of the country and American foreign policy and the American economy ahead of their own personal interests. And time and time again, this administration has blatantly um, put their interests ahead of that of the American people. In the past, you know, the Clintons, as an example, and others have been 
you know, they've they've seen what the boundaries were. They're the Velociraptor testing the fences of what they could do and what they couldn't do <laughs> Here in, in Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. But the 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 difference with the Trump administration is they are going to do what they're going to do and they're going to challenge you to do something about it. And they think that the politicians and they have been so far on Capitol Hill are too feeble and dumbfounded and impotent to be able to actually do anything about okay, what they've so, done. So let's be fair for a moment. I appreciate I appreciate your take on what's been going on on Capitol Hill. But first of all, Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp. And, and I want to say that by bringing in Steve Mnuchin, a former Goldman Sachs executive, to run the Treasury Department, he certainly drained the swamp. He drained the swamp outside the walls of the White House and brought the swamp right into the White House. So Donald Trump spends most of his time riding around in a kayak in the swamp inside the it's White House. It's like George House Washington going across the that Delaware. Created, right. it's, it's Donald Trump crossing the Delaware. He now needs a boat to get through this Okefenokee swamp that he's created in there with Steve Mnuchin. And Mnuchin was shocked, I tell you, shocked that Nancy Pelosi disparaged his unresponsive cooperation in the classified briefing. I I'm shocked. Of course I didn't say anything. I'm Steve Mnuchin. I'm used to running Goldman Sachs. I've got a gorgeous wife. I've got all the money in the world. I'm a buddy of Vladimir and Oleg Deripaska, and I've got Donald Trump calling the shots. Of course I'm going to be unresponsive. But something significant has changed on Capitol Hill. Something really significant has changed that you, Chris Ryan, failed to mention. And what that was, was the House of Representatives is now controlled by Democrats. And it's now controlled by Democrats who are going to use the powers that are vested in the members of Congress, including the subpoena power, to start getting to the truth behind what's going on. I recall when I got to Congress back in 2007 at the height of the uh, war in Iraq. Uh, the, I was on the Oversight and Government Reform Committee, the very committee uh, that is going to hear testimony from Michael Cohen. And what we started digging into was some of the real facts behind what was going on in Iraq. For example, at the time, we wondered why billions of American dollars were disappearing. We wondered why there were pallets of cash uh, without any accounting being given to the Iraqis. And, and what repercussions were suffered by individuals? Well, at least we found out some of the answers. Right. And uh, eventually, um, things, things changed. At least there was oversight and accountability. Now, here... Um, in terms of Mnuchin and the classified briefings, he may be unresponsive, but at least now there are Democrats willing to use the subpoena power instead of sweeping it under the rug to find out what's really going on. For the past two years of the Trump administration, it's been complete Republican control, and nobody has ever found out the truth. Now at least we have a chance of finding out what's going on and putting it in front of the American people so that the American people can make a decision as to whether or not there's been flim-flammery, tomfoolery, trickery, and crookedness at the very highest levels of our government. I know what I, know what I think the answer is. And it's going to be up to the American people to get some evidence through the public hearings and the subpoenas that Congress is going to issue to find out what's going on. 
Yeah, we just have a couple minutes here left, but it, and there's a lot there to unpack. I mean, in regards to the American people and the apathy that exists in regards to, you know, this administration, um, that's one of the big reasons that they have been able to act in such a brazen fashion. There's really no significant pushback to what is taking place. Our, you know, democracy, our country, our nation um, is, you know, very uh, tenuous at this point in time, um, given the amount of uh, business dealings that exist uh, outside of the American interest. And um, that is really concerning. And again, Congress I mean, can investigate and, can, and that's, that's fine, but the American people have to end up holding, them, uh, holding uh, these individuals accountable. Look, we've had the White House as a casino, the White House as a place where uh, Donald Trump, his family, and his cronies have put their business dealings above the interests of America. We're finally going to find out about it. The next two years is going to be a real interesting time in American politics. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at NH Talk Radio, and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, and other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life with the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a few with a fascinating conversation with Matt Robeson, political pundit and political blogger. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hoods here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome a New guest to Off the Record, Matt Robeson, a political blogger and political guru of sorts. I know Matt well from past incarnations, and he is now blogging on politics at amoreperfectunionforum.com. Welcome, Matt. Hi, Paul. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's wintertime. It's cold here in New Hampshire. Uh, really, really cold. I know the president was down the other day in Texas. It didn't look so cold down there. But you have now started a really interesting political blog at a moreperfectunionforum.com, and you're taking a kind of deeper dive into politics. You're moving beyond the usual process talk or the headlines to really look at deeper trends affecting our politics. Um, let's talk about what uh, what's up on the blog and, uh, and your approach. That's 100% right. You know, what I've been struck by in talking to a lot of uh, former colleagues from Capitol Hill, uh, from campaigns, is everyone has the same sense that you pretty much see 
around the American public that our politics has gone completely off the rails. And I think most people are sort of asking, why? How did we get here? Is there any way to get back? So what I'm interested in is not so much the the week-to-week exchange kind of talking heads. There's a lot of great content of that type, if you're, if you're interested in it, if you're interested in following the news and the back and forth between the parties. What really interests me is digging a little bit deeper into what's going on underneath the surface, if you kind of lift the hood and look at the gears and wheels uh, underneath our politics. Um, why are things breaking down so much, and is there any way to possibly give ourselves a tune-up and get back on track? Well, it's certainly a relevant topic, given that we now are in a divided government scenario. Uh, We have, uh, at the top of the headlines, we've got all kinds of things happening. We've got Robert Mueller's report coming down in a couple of weeks. We have President Trump's lawyer about to testify before my old committee, the Government uh, Oversight and Reform Committee. Um, but deep down, we've got a very divided nation. Um, the other day, I heard that uh, many in New Hampshire are supporting President Trump's approach to the wall. Of course, there are many Democrats who don't. But something deeper is going on in the country in terms of the center. Uh, is there a center anymore here in New Hampshire? I asked Tom Rath the other day, a noted Republican strategist and guru, um, uh, whether New Hampshire was the party, the Republican Party in New Hampshire was the party of Tom Rath or the party of Al Baldessero, who's a noted far-right state legislature. And Tom's response was interesting. He said there is no more Republican Party in New Hampshire. So what's going on in our politics? Is there a center? And if there's not a center, uh, are there any signs of life of a center? And what's a what's a good moderate to do? What's a conscientious centrist Democrat to do? What's a conscientious left-leaning Republican or independent to do? Where where do you find a home these days? You put your finger on I think the choose a number million dollar question um in american politics right now is um what has happened to the center uh why aren't the preferences of the american people truly being in some kind of a you know moderate way being reflected in policy making and politics uh in state capitals and in washington dc and you know look i i think like with any complex problem you know like the old expression how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time i think it's helpful to kind of break down the question uh and sort of understand the shape of it and you know so i i I think the the first part of the question is um how can we understand what's going on um and why the center isn't exerting the same kind of influence on the direction of our politicians that it used to um, and actually, I just put up a piece that, that takes a, a, a closer look at some of the numbers on that and has some, kind of some surprising findings uh, about what's been going on. Why don't you share them? Well, sure. So, you know, I, I think it's worth taking a look at this, this question of, you know, there's, there's been this sort of long-time understanding among pundits, uh, analysts, and people with PhDs, political scientists, 
that in theory, in politics, the center should sort of hold sway. Because if you're a politician who gets more out to the extremes, there's more people who are closer to the middle than people who are way out at the edges. So if you start straying too far to the right or too far to the left, in the next election, someone's going to come in and strategically take a more centrist position on issues that matter to your voters, and they're going to beat you out. And so what we're seeing is that's not really what's happening. And, and, and just to take a, a measure of the U.S. Congress as an example, if you look at the last quarter century, political scientists have taken uh, this approach of measuring how liberal or conservative an individual politician is and giving them a score. I remember and, I remember that really well. I mean, they were... I was always getting scored on whether I was uh, too far left or too far right or where I was on the political spectrum. And, and as, as you know, I often got castigated um, from the left because people were feeling, well, he's too centrist, he's too moderate, he's not far left enough on, on various issues. 100% right. And you're actually a, a fantastic case study of, of exactly what's been going on. So the first thing you see, if you dig into the numbers, is that Republicans in Congress have been moving steadily, increasingly, and consistently to the right. They've been, coming, they've been becoming more conservative over the last 40 years, and especially over the last 25 years since the Republican Revolution, the Newt Gingrich Revolution of 1994. In fact, they're about twice as conservative today as they were 25 years ago when Newt Gingrich ushered in this, this new era in Republican politics. At the same time, Democrats in Congress have barely moved at all. And so right on the face of it right there, I think that you should be able to detect a, a little bit of a, a mismatch, because Republicans have also been in charge in Congress, with the exception of 2007 to 2011 in the last week or so, consistently over the last 25 years. So right there, there's a little bit of a divide. Right. But then, if you click down, if you dig down further into the numbers, there's something else really weird going on. If you take a look at how competitive an election an individual member of Congress is facing, are they in a safe seat, you know, the, the kind of thing that they should win in a cakewalk, or are they in a really competitive swing seat or, or, or something in between? And you take a look at how they're voting. Are they being really toward the extremes, or are they trying to stay in the middle and compare it to what kind of election they're in? What you see is this very odd pattern. Democrats do what pundits and political scientists think they should. The ones who are in safe seats, they vote more liberal. The ones like you and your experience in Congress who are in more swing seats, as you just alluded to, they tend to be a little bit more moderate. Republicans have no difference at all. The safe ones and the highly competitive seat ones, they're all moving steadily more conservative, all at the same rate, and they're voting virtually the same. That, wait a second. Now, let, let me just process that for a minute. So the Democrats show what you'd expect um, in terms of safe seats or swing seats, and the swing seat folks are a little more careful in their policies, and the safe seat folks feel that they can 
uh, swing more to the left and uh, tend to be more progressive or more liberal or more outspoken or bolder. But on the Republican side, that doesn't show up at all. And what we're seeing is this huge rightward trend from all the Republican seats, whether they're safe or not. There's something counterintuitive about that. There's something that doesn't make sense, at least in terms of the way sense was always made in politics and political science, because you'd think that the rules ought to apply in the same way to both parties. That is 100% right. And if you go to the blog site, a moreperfectunionforum.com, there's a graph that shows this. A picture is worth a thousand words, so I, I recommend people checking it out. But it's exactly the way you described. You see this spread among Democrats. The safe ones voting more liberal, the more competitive seat ones voting a little bit more moderate. The Republicans are all clustered together. And it, it, it begs the question, it begs the question, exactly as you said, what's changed? What has changed in our politics so that this kind of thing can happen and voters aren't really seeming to mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things I've, I've seen, at least observing the Republican side, is that the Republican trend has been holy mackerel, if I don't stay to the far right, I'm going to get challenged from the further right. Uh, And that goes for even very conservative or traditionally conservative Republicans who are finding that they need to protect not from the center, but from their extreme uh, right. And that in, in an era when Trump, when the Republican Party is now firmly the Trump Party, uh, that that rule is the counterintuitive result of whatever trends have produced this right tilt to the Republican Party, in which, you know, the old-fashioned New England uh, Republicans of Tom Rath and Judd Gregg and Warren Rudman, as a as an example, uh, are totally endangered species, and why we're seeing many lapsed Republicans, especially in the era of Trump. But even with taking Trump out of the equation as an outlier in terms of his style and, and, and everything else about him, even taking Donald Trump out of the equation, if you can, you still have this rightward tilt to the Republican Party that um, bears some historical analysis and explanation. And we'll get into that in a second, but we're going to take a break now. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM. We're at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find our shows archived for your binge listening pleasure. We're talking with political pundit, observer, and blogger Matt Robeson, whose blog is at a moreperfectunionforum.com. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away.
We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com. We're podcast at Google and Stitcher and Apple iTunes. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're talking with Matt Robeson, a good friend and a, a new guest here on Off the Record. Matt has opened up an interesting political discussion at his blog, a more perfect union forum.com, and we are talking about some of the strange trends in American politics that are going on underneath the headlines, way beyond the process, way beyond the election. Something is going on in the American electorate. Uh, the center is shifting, or it's turned to quicksand, or there is no more center. Something is happening, and Matt Robeson is trying to figure out how it got there and what's really going on. So, Matt, when we uh, let's pick up our conversation. We were thinking about or talking about some of the historical trends uh, that seem to have resulted in a right-leaning tilt to the Republican Party. That that is um, that threatens to fall off the edge of the world. I mean, it's just gone far right, while the Democrats seem to be playing the same old game in terms of are we progressive or are we a moderate, and you can see that playing out on on the Democratic side. But on the Republican side, it continues to be now, how far right can we go? Yeah, I think that's right, and you had mentioned some of the great figures in New Hampshire politics on the Republican side, like Senator Judd Gregg, you know, I, I brought to mind uh, your predecessor, Charlie Bass's father, who was governor. And when he was elected some 60 years ago, he called it a great victory for liberalism in America. And you can't imagine that kind of sentiment uh, being expressed today. And, and to be fair, the inverse of it on the Democratic side. So, you know, there's clearly been a shift here. And I, look, I think a lot has been made in, in political discussion circles about this tribalization in American politics, the sense that your political party has become more a part of your identity, your, your tribe, who you are. It, it used to be the sense of, of analysts that there was a, a center and that people made choices more like, more like the theoretical model based on you might choose to, to be part of a party or to vote in the direction of a party based on your policies. But now your policies are determined based on your party. And you see that to some degree on the Republican side, where there's been a flip on issues like trade, on, on issues like immigration. So, you know, it, it's become very hard to try to find moderate policy directions where there's this uh, complete polar opposite effect uh, and people feel a certain adherence to their political tribe. And, you know, on the Republican side, if, if you stray from that orthodoxy, um, you're accused of being a rhino, a Republican in name only. 
And you see some of that on the Democratic side, too, to be fair. Well, you know, I'm thinking about your examples of on the Republican side. You mentioned immigration. I mean, 10 years ago, it was President George Bush who was working hard for a compromise on immigration reform. Um, it was something he was actually interested in. He's a Spanish-speaking president and was interested in. And today, the Republican Party stands for this hardline notion of, of just, well, you know, try to build a wall across the entire southern border. And people are believing the stuff that Donald Trump is peddling about um, drugs flowing in over the southern border, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it sounds like an example, uh, as you've said, where the party i.e. the Republican Party, the Trump Party, is now determining uh, what people will accept as policy rather than the other way around. And I certainly see that at play in the current climate uh, about Russia. I mean, you know, it was always that uh, the Republican Party was tough on national security, communism was bad, Russia was the evil archenemy, and now we have the President of the United States clearly um, lauding Vladimir Putin, cozying up to Vladimir Putin, and somehow it seems to completely escape the Republican electorate that not very long ago we were, the Republicans were, were, took a hard line on Russia. Uh, it, it, it's enough to make you your head spin. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, let's not forget that it wasn't even seven years ago. When Mitt Romney, as, as the Republican nominee for, for president, said that our greatest geopolitical foe was Russia. And it was Democrats who castigated him widely uh, for, for not naming uh, ISIS or uh, uh, al-Qaeda, uh, other forms of uh, uh, terrorism, um, or even a different state actor like China. And here we are. Um, not even a decade later, and as you say, there's been uh, there, there's been an incredible turnaround on that. Um, but yes, that that is a, a symptom of this broader um, issue. Now, to be fair, I mean, you and I both have some uh, colleagues, friends um, on on both sides of the aisle. We work closely and have worked closely with with a number of Republicans, and I think under under the surface. Um, this kind of flip, that's not a view that's, that's broadly shared. Uh, and I think that there's a hope um, on both sides that this kind of, what, what President Obama used to call the fever, is, is going to break at some point. Um, the, the big question is, when? And is there anything that we can all collectively do to uh, help that along and make it happen any faster? And what's your answer? Well, it, it's it's a hard problem, you know, going back to this, you know, how do we eat an elephant, you know, a bite at a time. Um, I, I think it's worth understanding that people's views are, are sticky. Um, they tend to get set early in life, um, especially when it comes to matters of political identity, you know, this tribal politics notion, uh, and they do tend to persist. There's actually a there's a, there's a whole fancy name for this in, in, in psychology. Um, you know, and so that does make it very hard. Um, you know, another part of the problem that you see is that um, President Trump, as much outrage as Democrats have, and Democrats have a lot of outrage, and, 
and this kind of hopeful sense of impending impeachment, um, you know, that the other shoe will drop, his floor in polling does seem to be about 40%, uh, which is what led to him saying literally that he could walk down Fifth Avenue in New York City and shoot someone and not lose any votes. Um, so that's the problem right there is that kind of stickiness, belief persistence uh, that's going to be hard to shake. But if there are any glimmers of hope, um, it's that, one, um, you do see uh, cracks. Uh, you're seeing it play out a little bit right now in the standoff uh, over the shutdown. Uh, you've, you've seen sentiments this week from uh, Republican senators that they're not necessarily going to hold firm, that there, there might be a compromise way forward. Um, you know, and they're just trying to figure out if they can thread that needle of, you know, taking a more moderate path and not paying too big a penalty with the base. Um, you know, and there's also, there's also the hope that, you know, taking President Obama's fever analogy, um, he hoped back in, in 2008 that his election would, on its own, sort of, as, as he said, break the fever, uh, usher in a new, a new era, a more mature conversation. But if you think about the analogy of what your body's doing when, when you get a fever and you're fighting off an infection, you know, it's using that, um, you, you have to spike uh, a, a high temperature in order to kill the underlying infection. Um, and it's possible that some of the near crises that, that we're experiencing right now um, economically, in terms of the total dysfunction of the government and the shutdown, uh, and yes, perhaps in, in the, the forthcoming Mueller report, might create enough of a spike to help break that fever. Um, that would be one, one hopeful note. I wonder to what extent, if I'm thinking about the reasons for the tribalism and how did we get here and how quickly it seemed to have happened, although you've cited the trends uh, uh, over the past few decades, it seems to some observers that the tribalism, the rampant tribalism, the hard tribalism really has accelerated in the past few years. I'm wondering to what extent you think that the change in media and communications, the total revolution in the way we get our information, in the way we communicate, in our ability to tweet, Instagram, spatchcock, do whatever it is that are the now ubiquitous handheld devices, our smartphones, which we have to remember are only 10 years old. What, what have they done to us? Is, are we seeing a symptom of the inability of humans to adapt to the technology? Are we seeing technology that has outrun the capacity of the users of that technology to really uh, understand its implications and that uh, it's changed something fundamentally in our emotions, in our brains, which have increased this kind of tribalism uh, when it comes to politics because of the way that individual voices and, um, and awful stuff can be amplified. Do you think that has something to do with what we're seeing? Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, I think you put your finger on one of the key drivers, um, you know, and there's definitely been a lot of discussion about how people are existing in political thought bubbles, especially uh, on social media. Um, and it's really interesting, um, you know, for people like me, 
who have Republican and Democratic friends and, and interact with them and, and, and even talk about politics a little bit over social media, when I tap into sort of the Republican sphere, it is a different world. Um, and I don't see it in the Democratic sphere. There's no question. Um, and you could, you could bring in um, the, the relative success of uh, conservative radio, conservative talk radio, the Rush Limbaugh effect, Fox News. Um, you know, those are all uh, intricate, intricately uh, connected and, and related to the, to the issue. You know, there was a sort of a political science theory about 30 years ago about the Iron Triangle in Washington, um, this this kind of connection between lobbyists and special interests and members of Congress that locked out the interests of the people. And I think that there's a new iron triangle in American politics um, that has a, a combination of the forces you talked about, um, social media, new media uh, 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 methods of, of, of reaching people, people self-selecting into their own preferred political bubble, uh, combined with an absolute gusher of money in politics, um, money with, without any you know, public uh, spotlight connection of source. Um, and a, a third factor in, in, the, in the new Iron Triangle is what I've observed, and I don't know if, if, if you felt the same way in, in, in your career in elected office, um, is this growing uh, use of the most effective but unfortunately most extreme psychological rhetorical communications dynamics. Um, I certainly observed in the decade or so that, that I worked on Capitol Hill and, and on campaigns a, a growing recognition that nuance wasn't worth it. Without the media filter to kind of call balls and strikes on it, there was an incentive to uh, make the most extreme charges, to call your opponent uh, the most extreme names, um, and there was really no penalty for that. There, were, there was no blowback for it. So those three factors coming together, I, I think, have really fed uh, the tribalization effect um, and the polarization in American politics. We're talking with Matt Robeson, political pundit, political blogger, at a more perfect union forum.com here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to make this a regular feature because this, I think, is the really interesting stuff that very few people are digging into. So thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. It's Paul Hodes on Off the Record. We'll be back to wrap up this edition after this. Don't go away. We're back. 
Hodes off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM streamed live at nhtalkradio.com and brought to you by the Birches of Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, what a week. What a wild week it's been. Oleg Deripaska, Steve Mnuchin, Elizabeth Warren on her way to Concord, and Michael Cohen ready to spill the beans on Capitol Hill to the American public. We had a fascinating conversation with Matt Robeson about whether or not there is a center anymore in American politics and why not. It's off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM. Thanks to our great sponsor, the Birches of Concord at 224-9111. And to all of you for listening, we'll be back next week with another edition of Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM.